I, I just want you to know I hate vegetables like super duper much. Like don't like them at all, not even a little bit. And growing up, my mom, uh, you know, she would force us to eat them. And I really blame her, to be honest with you. <laughs> but I hate them. And about seven months ago, I started working with a dietitian, And uh, she told me I had to eat vegetables. And I was like, I really hate them. And she said, Rhea, if you just force yourself to eat them, I promise you that you'll begin to crave them. And I just found that so hard to believe. But um, she, she promised me that even if I didn't desire them, if I ate them, that my body would begin to crave them. And it was amazing. I'm not even lying. For those of you that hate vegetables with me, uh, I will tell you it works. Uh, I would force myself to eat vegetables. And then I would find, like, one morning I get up and I was like, I think I want a salad for breakfast. Who wants salad for breakfast? But I, I was craving them. And, and, and so it really did work. And, but I have to tell you that it's easy to slip back into that other pattern and go the other way because that's what happened to me. For many of you will know that we've been in a corporate fast for the last 32 days. And um, I had been eating super duper healthy for about seven months and I loved it. I felt better than I'd ever felt in my life and my, my cravings were under control. I wasn't craving things like I used to crave. I didn't even desire sugar anymore. It was really a good time in my life. And then I went to visit my grandson. We went on vacation and um, we were, I, I wasn't able to cook and so we had to eat out. And uh, when we entered the fast, one of the things, because I was eating so healthy and there wasn't a whole lot for me to give up for the fast, one of the things I was giving up was going out to eat. Uh, I had, be because of the diet that I was on, not a diet, the healthy lifestyle I was indulging in, I, there were very few places I could eat. But there was one that really had healthy, good food, and I ate there all the time, too much, in fact. And so when the fast came up and I was asking the Lord what I could give up, he really laid on my heart to give up this one restaurant. And I'm like, Lord, where am I going to eat? I don't like to cook. And, and so um, then we went on vacation, and I was like, oh, what am I going to do? I can't. I made a deal with the Lord. I wouldn't eat at this one restaurant. How am I going to eat healthy? I guess I'm not going to have to. You know, I got into that mindset. And somebody suggested that I go to Mod Pizza. I don't know if you know Mod Pizza. I didn't. But they have cauliflower crust. It's made out of cauliflower. And then they said, you can put all these good vegetables on it. And even though my dietician had told me not to eat dairy, I thought, well, it's not going to hurt for a little while. And so I started going. I, I went to Mod Pizza. I don't even like pizza. Dave will tell you, I, it's not, I don't even like it. And, but I tasted that mud pizza and I was like, oh my goodness, this is tasty. And, and I, I don't even like it. And the next morning, guess what I was craving? Mod pizza. So we went back to mod pizza and we went there how many days in a row? <laughs> because it was what I desired, it was what I craved, and now Miss Healthy only eat vegetables and, and protein, now was craving mod pizza every single day, and it was interesting to me how quickly my appetite could change, how quickly my taste buds would crave again something that I knew. I got migraines, I hadn't had a migraine in seven months, and I started getting migraines when we were on vacation, and I knew what was causing it, and yet I was craving this pizza like I can't even tell you. So then I came home 
And I was like, Davey, I got to do something because my, I get a headache, I feel lethargic, and I got to get back on this, this eating program. And I want to tell you that it was, e it was easy because I had been doing it successfully for seven months, and, you know, what's a week and a half of mod pizza? But it wasn't easy because my taste buds had changed, and I no longer was craving salads and protein. I was now craving mod pizza. Like, in my sleep, I wanted it. It was so yummy. And, uh, and so we've been home, and I'm like, I can't eat that stuff anymore. I, I'm not going to mod pizza. And, and, but I, it, it was shocking to me how quickly my appetite could change, it, how quickly I could begin to crave something that wasn't even good for me and that made me feel miserable. It was shocking to me how quickly that happened. Several pounds later, I realized how bad it was for me. And so you say, well, Rhea, what does that have to do with what you're teaching tonight? You see, when I came to Christ, I had an appetite for sin. I, I don't know about you. I knew it was bad for me, but I craved it. I desired it. I indulged in it. And people who say that sin isn't fun... <laughs> obviously haven't tried it because I'm not going to lie to you. Sin is tasty for a season. The Bible says that. But in the end, it leads to death. My sin, my, my uh, appetite, my cravings for mod pizza was tasty for a season, for a week and a half. But in the end, it led to death. It led me a place I didn't want to go. So when I came to Christ, he transplanted a new nature in me. He, he gave me new taste buds, a spiritual appetite that he put inside of me. But, but just like I had to train myself to like vegetables, Paul says to Timothy, train yourselves to become godly. So even though that new nature is inside of me, my cravings, because the flesh is still alive in me, and those of you who are fasting will understand this, your flesh is still alive. Even though you said to the Lord, I'm going to give this thing up, your cravings, your flesh still desires it. And you have to learn to say no to that thing. And as I train myself to walk according to the Spirit and not entertain the desires of the flesh, my taste buds started to get redeemed just like it did with vegetables. I no longer crave sin like I used to. Instead, I desired things that pleased God and brought Him glory. But even though I had that new nature inside of me, and even though I was training myself to, become, myself to become godly, even though I was trying to walk according to the flesh, I need to tell you that flesh was still as depraved as ever, and it was still alive. The Bible says reckon yourself dead to sin. That, that means to do the, the math and calculate it and say that Christ lives within me. I don't have to entertain that sin anymore. It doesn't say that the sin isn't going to still want to be entertained. And just like my healthy eating, I was strong and full of energy as long as I was eating right. But the second I indulged and gave in to my fleshly desires, I got lethargic and I paid dearly for it. The second I, I indulged in sugar or gluten or dairy, my cravings came back twice as strong. And the same is true spiritually. As long as we're eating right spiritually, as long as we're indulging in the Word of God, we're healthy, and we're strong. But the second we indulge in the flesh, we pay dearly. We become lethargic spiritually, and we begin to crave and be drawn to sin, and our spiritual appetite changes. The longer I ate mod pizza, the more my taste buds longed for it. 
And you see, when a believer indulges in sin for a prolonged period of time, their taste buds start to change and their spiritual sensitivity begins to become dulled. Their appetite for God and His way begins to change and holiness becomes drudgery and the longing to indulge in sin will intensify. The reason I gained weight, the reason my taste buds changed is I got lazy on vacation. It was easier to go to Mod Pizza and then continue in my established pattern of a healthy diet. And the same is true of us spiritually. When we become lazy spiritually, you see, I'm lazy spiritually when I get up in the morning. You know, I get up in the morning before anybody in my household gets up. And I go to my table and I begin to study the Word of God. There are mornings that I am like, Lord, I would like to sleep in. I would like to have to set my alarm to get up in the morning. But here's what I know about Rhea. I don't know about you. I just know about me. The second I become lazy spiritually, my taste buds start to change. My spiritual taste buds start to change. And my fleshly appetites start to rise again to the surface. And I start craving things that are in contra that's contrary to the word of God. But as long as I'm drinking of this word and I'm indulging in this word I, I, and eating my vegetables, if you will, my cravings start to line up with this craving, with this, with God's desire. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. If you have your Bibles, will you open them to 1 Peter? 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to read verses 1 through 3. Therefore, rid yourselves. Notice we have to do it. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave spiritual milk, pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. The last time I was with you, I was teaching on Ephesians 4, verse 24, and putting off the old man, which is corrupted, Scripture says, by deceitful desires. My, the, the, the desires that my flesh want are deceitful. They deceive me into believing they're actually good or they're fun or, or I deserve them. They're deceitful desires. And that old man is corrupted by deceitful desires and we're told to put him off and put on the new self that's created to be like God in, in true righteousness and holiness. So that old man is, was after the flesh and the old man lived driven by deceitful desires and lusts. That old man wants to enslave us with its appetites. The new man, the spiritual man, the man who's created to be like God in holiness and righteousness, we have to choose to put that man on. And we do that when we walk according to the Spirit, when we're led according to the Spirit, when we live according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. You see, our flesh is not redeemed. It's decaying and it's corrupt. That's why the Bible says that no flesh and blood can inherit the kingdom of God. But that fleshly appetite still longs to be fed. But it's corrupt and it's deceitful. And those deceitful desires war, the Bible says, against my spirit. My spirit wants to guide me. The spirit living within me, that Holy Spirit living within me, wants to guide me and direct me in the way that's right. It wants to train me in righteousness. 
but my flesh wants its own way. Can I tell you, anybody here besides me, people who say, oh, your flesh is dead, Rhea. Anybody besides me want to give testimony tonight that their flesh still wants to have its own way occasionally. I was with my grandson. I'm sorry about the grandchildren illustrations all the time, but deal with it. They're just oh, my pride and joy. But I was with Mason um, this past week, and he is a stinker. I'm just telling you, I just love that little boy so much. And um, I was in my bedroom, and I, I heard Mason getting scolded at the table. And when Brooke scolds him, she puts her hand up like this and says, no, Mason. And, and so I heard her scolding him, and I walked out into the, the dining room, and Mason had taken his lunch and had spread it all over the floor. And Brooke was on the floor picking it up. And I sat down at the table, and Mason looked at me, and he went, in other words, she scolded me, Grandma. And so this began his, his time with every time he did something wrong, he would scold himself and do this. And so Brooke did not want him to go into the bathroom, and he was intrigued with the bathroom for some reason. And, and every time he would head to the bathroom, she would go with him, and she would take him by the shoulders, and she would redirect him out of the room. And she would say, no, Mason. And she would direct him back out of the room. And so this was all week long. He would head to the bathroom. She would shut the door, guide him back out of the room. No Mason. And then one day she was in the kitchen and she was distracted and Mason was nowhere to be found. And she said, Mason, where are you? And he came running out of the bedroom with this look on his face and did this. In other words, he was doing something naughty. He was in the bathroom. And, and he was just scolding himself so she wouldn't have to do it. And I, I felt like I got nothing but sermon illustrations the whole time I was with that little boy because it struck me he's 15 months old and nobody had to teach him to be naughty. It's inbred. And, and here's Brooke, his mother, trying to guide him and direct him to do what's right. <laughs> and every time she would try to guide him and direct him, as soon as she let go of his shoulders, he would turn and go back to what he was doing that was naughty. Because you see, the infant in him wanted to do what he wanted to do. And as I sat and watched that and I was studying the scripture, I realized, Lord, your Holy Spirit is in me just like Brooke guiding and trying to direct me into doing what's right and to keep me out of trouble. And yet the flesh in me, the infant in me, wants what it wants. I wonder how many of you can relate to that. We want its own way. James 4.1 says, What leads to the unending quarrels and conflicts among you? Do they not come from your hedonistic desires that wage war in your bodily members fighting for control over you? Is it not the flesh and the spirit warring against each other? We, we talked the last time we were together about how we needed to be purposeful about removing old patterns of thinking and acting that are inconsistent with our new life in Christ. And now Peter, uh, he, he tells us in 1 Peter 2, 1 and 3, what we need to remove from our life so that we can grow in the spirit. I'm struck by how many churches right now are focused on church growth. Growth in terms of numbers, not in terms of spirituality. Church growth at the expense of church depth. I'm more concerned about numbers than I'm concerned about making disciples. They're focused on quantitative growth as opposed to qualitative growth. In this passage, Peter is talking about the growth of a believer, a qualitative growth. I believe that you're here tonight. You could be anywhere you wanted on Monday night, but you choose to be, be here, and I believe it's because you want to grow. But you see, we live in a world that's a quick-fix society. 
That's why our diet industry is so popular. If you can just give me a drug or you can give me a quick fix that'll make my flesh lose this weight, I'll pay whatever I need to pay to do it. And and in all reality, what what it takes to lose weight is discipline and self-control, does it not? Denying flesh, denying your, your, your flesh what it wants. And the same is true spiritually. Tonight, we're going, to look at, we're going to continue to look at things that need to be put off from our lives in order for us to grow in grace and walk according to the Spirit. Things we need to be purposeful about shedding. If you look at verse 1 in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Uh, you've heard me say this a million times. Anytime you see a therefore, you always stop and ask yourself, what is it therefore? Therefore is a hinge. It hinges the passage that came before it with what is coming after it. And so it's important for us to not just begin looking at what we need to rid ourselves uh, from, but also looking at what the therefore is there for. Chapter 1 talks about our new birth in Christ. It, it talks about how we're being, we've been saved into a living hope. It talks about being obedient children and not conforming to our former lusts talks about being holy in our conduct. It talks about conducting ourselves in the fear of the Lord. And then in verse 22, it, it talks about purifying our own souls by obeying the truth. Look at that scripture. That we purify our souls. We don't say, God zap me. We purify our souls by obeying the truth, by obeying the word of God. Do you see that? And then it it picks up with, therefore, because of all of this, because you're obedient children, because you don't conform to your former lust, because you're purifying yourselves by obeying the truth, therefore, rid yourselves of these things. Do you see the importance of the therefore? Some of your translations might say these things being so or since instead of the therefore. So since we're obedient children who do not conform to the evil desires we had before, since we're holy in all we do, since we're aware that God will judge each person's work impartially, impartially, and most importantly, because or since or therefore, we're people who purify their souls by doing what is right, we need to rid ourselves of these things. Chapter 1 talks about being born again. If you look up that word born again, the, the, the definition will be to thoroughly change the mind of one so that he lives a new life and one conform to the will of God. Because we're born again, because we're trying to live a new life, and because we're trying to be conformed to the will of God, we will rid ourselves of the five things that follow. Peter is saying those who are born again should, obzi- should exhibit evidence of their new life in their day-to-day life. We should look different than the unbeliever down the street. The Word of God must affect our life. Our lives should be marked by continual growth. My grandsons, every step that they make, every change they make, we document. Uh, I've got all kinds of videos on my phone of, uh, of one of them sitting up and then crawling, then walking, taking their first steps. And, and every bit of their life should be marked by continual growth. And the same is true of our spiritual life. We should not remain infants. We should be growing in Christ. A.C. Gamblin says, those who are born again of an incorruptible seed in possession of a new nature are still in the world, though they are no longer of it. 
Evil is on all sides, and there is still the old nature, the flesh, in every child of God, though believers are reckoned to no longer be in the flesh. The old things of the flesh must be put off, completely laid aside. This is a necessary thing for spiritual growth. If there is no putting off of these things, there can be no progress. He says, rid yourself. That word, rid yourself, it means to put off from oneself. Uh, It's uh, to be put off or away. It it means to give up or renounce. We actually saw this uh, word used in in the passage I taught a few weeks ago in Ephesians 4.22. It says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. It's in Colossians 3.8, it says, But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, from your mouth. In Hebrews 12.1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. It's all the same word. To renounce it, to, to, to put it away, to take it off, to strip it off of our life. And lastly, in James 1, verse 21, it says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent in you, and humbly accept the word of God planted in you, which can save your soul. 1 Peter 2 lists five behaviors that need to be stripped off from a Christian's life. As we said, that phrase, rid yourself, was, using, was used of stripping off filthy clothing. So if we're a Christian, we must strip ourselves of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. I hate nothing more than wearing clothes that are out of style. It's my pet, it's just, I, I got issues with it, I'm just telling you. And, and so a couple weeks ago, I went through my closet and I got everything that was out of style taken out of my closet because I don't want to wear something that's out of style. And so I'm just going to tell you, when you came to Christ, some garments you were wearing became out of style. It's time to go through your closet and get rid of them. And those garments that are out of style now for you as a Christian are wrath and malice and slander and every evil speaking. Gossip, anger, it says. We have to rid ourselves, get, get them out of our closet, so to speak. There should be no place for them in, in, Christian life, in our Christian life. Some people think that therefore, that, that there is connected to the passage that talks about uh, that we need to love one another deeply and from the heart. And, and so let's just say, I, I don't believe it's just that, but let's just say that it is connected to the loving one another deeply from the heart. We need to understand that these are all relational sins that are listed in verse 1. You might call them, Ray Pritchard says, horizontal sins because they touch on how we relate to others around us. And by definition, they deal with how we respond to the difficult people we rub shoulders with every single day. Ray Pritchard says, the way we treat one another has a direct impact on our relationship with God. I believe that. As, we, uh, as long as we harbor these relational sins and wrong attitudes, we will never grow spiritually. These relational sins are like the junk food of the soul. They choke off our craving for the word so that instead of growing, we stay just as we are. We can treat people, you can treat people unkindly and gossip about them and harbor bitterness. You can have a sharp tongue and a critical spirit, and you can look down your nose at people who aren't like you, but as long as you do that, you will never grow spiritually, not even if you come to church four times a week and go to Bible study every other day. Those relational sins, Pritchard says, will choke off the word of God in your life. 
That explains why some people, hear this, can come to church for years and never get better. They're harboring relational garbage, a garbage pit inside their, on their inside. They make excuses for their envy. They ignore their gossip. They make light of their cutting comments. They justify their meanness towards others. And they don't grow because they can't grow. They have to rid themselves of those things. I'm just telling you, I know, I know that I preach a hard message. I know that some of you are like, oh, I don't want to come because I get so convicted. I'm telling you, there's a, con- there's a difference between condemnation and conviction, and conviction makes you more like Jesus. If you yield to that conviction and you start looking at those things in your life, you will become more like him. He says, rid yourselves of these things. Peter is picturing uh, the putting off of dirty, filthy clothing. It was used in the Greek, uh, for, it was a Greek term, this rid yourself was a Greek term that was used of Olympic athletes and how they had to strip off their clothing before they ran so that they could run better. It's the same word that's being used here, that we need to strip off those filthy garments of malice and slander and evil speaking in order so that we might run our Christian walk better. It's interesting that it's the aorist tense here, and and it's an aorist imperative. It calls for a specific, definitive, decisive choice. It's a choice to strip them off. It's a choice to rid ourselves of these things. It means to do this now, at once, once and for all. There's a sense of urgency with them. Peter is saying, it's vital that you do this. I want you to grow in your Christian walk, and in order for you to do this, this is urgent that you hear me. Strip those things off of your life. But you have to make the decision to do it. It's in the middle voice. The the voice that Peter uses here is the middle voice, and that means the subject must initiate the action, but they get to participate in the results. He's saying, you know what? You have to do this. You have to make the decision to rid yourself of these things, but I promise you that when you do, you're going to benefit from this. You're going to benefit from it. Notice the repetition of all. Rid yourself of all malice, all deceit, all evil speaking. It means radically all. It means every kind of, all manner of. It means you don't have the one exception to why this doesn't apply to you. Rid yourself of all malice. Malice, we've talked about this before, is ill will. It's a desire to injure or a desire to harm someone else. It's a wickedness that's not ashamed to break laws. It's, it is a desire to hurt someone with your words or deeds. It includes the idea of holding grudges. I I don't want you to dismiss this. I I want you to realize who Peter is writing this letter to. Look over at verse 1 in chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to who? God's elect. (laughs) Who is God's elect? Us. Peter is addressing Christians in this letter. The, The sins he talking about in, in verse 1 of chapter 2 are not just sins of the world. They're sins that can carry over into the life of a believer. Do you see that? He says, get rid of all malice, all deceit. <laughs> deceit is pretending to be something other than what I really am. It's deliberate dishonesty. Have you ever deceived somebody? You know, you didn't tell a lie But you didn't tell the truth either. You used your words to deceive them so you wouldn't have to lie. It means decoy. It means to trick or bait. It's the idea of a fishing uh, worm on the end of a hook. You're, You're tricking the fish into taking the bait. 
You're deceiving them so you can hook them in. And that's the picture of deceit here. It means to trick someone into thinking you're someone you're not. It's a two-faced attitude. Harold Marshall says it's a deliberate attempt to mislead others by telling lies. Get rid of all hypocrisy. The word hypocrisy is the acting of a stage player, the Greek word for actor. It's being an actor or putting on a mask, wearing a mask. It's when we pretend to be different from what we really are or to pretend like I'm acting from good motives when I deal with Masha, but really my heart is evil towards her. It's being fake and two-faced, and we're told to put it off. It's putting on an act. It's being one thing in public and another behind closed doors. Get rid of all hypocrisy. Get rid of all envy. Envy is the feeling of displeasure produced by witnessing or hearing of the advantage or prosperity of another. But it's more than that. It's, it's, it's resentful discontent. Scripture tells us that it was because of envy, this word that's used here, that Jesus was crucified. Pilate, the Bible says, knew that the reason that they turned Jesus over to him was because of envy. Piper says that it's a desire for some privilege or benefit that belongs to another with resentment that another has it and you don't. And we're told to get rid of it. Get rid of slander of every kind. Some translations say all evil speaking. I like that better um, because it's usually used in regards to persons. Evil speaking means defamation. It means backbiting. It means to speak down about someone. Hear me, church. This includes gossiping. It includes backbiting. It includes speaking unkind things about someone or passing on unkind reports. It, it means that I'm going to talk to Masha about someone, and, and it might be someone that she really likes, but I'm going to say something, you know, in the name of I'm just informing you, to cut them down in her eyes and to make her think less of them. Church, we're told to get rid of that stuff in our life, to grow up. That's what he's going to say next. He's going to say, it like... Like newborn infants crave milk so that you can grow up in your salvation. It's time that we grow up, and those behaviors should not be evident in a Christian's life. It's time for us to grow up. The word for evil speaking is formed from two words, means to, meaning to speak and against, to speak against. The UBS handbook says, metaphorically, it means to shoot people with words. I really like that. I wrote that down because I was reading that commentary and it just struck me that, that when we gossip about somebody or we speak evil about somebody to another, you know how we dress it up to make it seem like it's not evil. We're really shooting them with our words. One commentator says the slanderer says, says nice things to a person's face but disparaging things behind his back. Do you know anybody like that? Are you like that? It's interesting to me, all five of these words are manifestations of this evil speaking. These are all sins we're called to rid ourselves of, making nasty derogatory remarks about another, ridding our hearts of envy, of hypocrisy, of speaking evil against anyone in any way. 
They're all earmarks of the flesh. And we need to rid ourselves of them. They're characteristics that will hinder our growth and impede our spiritual progress and keeping us from looking and acting more like Christ. They're things that war against our soul and keep us from walking in the Spirit. He says, like newborn babes, crave spiritual milk. Can I just tell you, growth is impossible without proper nourishment. Now, Peter is going to tell us how to grow up. A healthy baby a healthy infant is a hungry infant. My, uh, Leslie's grandson, Evie, had uh, roseola, was it? Was diagnosed with roseola a couple uh, weeks ago. And, and he was sick, and Haley couldn't figure out why he was sick. And he didn't have the rash yet, and she couldn't, she couldn't figure out why he was so sick. And so she called the pediatrician, and the pediatrician says, uh, she said, all he wants to do is nurse, he told the, the pediatrician. And the pediatrician said, as long as he's nursing, He's healthy. He's okay as long as he's nursing. Because you see, a, a sick infant is a hungry infant, a hungry, a, an infant that isn't eating. And that's what Paul or what Peter is saying here. He's saying, You're like a newborn babe. A newborn baby, nobody has to tell a newborn baby what to do. How many of you have ever seen a newborn baby right out of the womb start latching on and nursing? Nobody has to instruct them, now this is what you do. Or how about a Coca-Cola instead of that milk? A baby's not saying, I want Coca-Cola. He's saying, I want milk. And a baby can't grow without milk. And, and Peter is saying here, if you want to grow up spiritually, you have to crave, you have to desire, you have to hunger for the pure, unadulterated milk of the Word of God. And if you're here tonight, and I'll say this as gently as I possibly can, if you're here tonight and you're not hungering for God's word, if you don't crave it, uh, the Bible says there's a scripture that says, uh, somebody help me, I, I, I need your word like my daily bread, or I, I crave your word like my daily bread. Job 23, 12. I craved the, the word his word, more than my necessary food. How many of you will honestly say tonight that you crave God's word more than mod pizza, more than your necessary food, more than your next meal, that you crave God's word more than the hat? Paul, Peter is saying, why do I keep saying Paul? Peter is saying that we, if we want to grow up spiritually, we have to get to the place where we crave, where we desire God's word more than our next breath. That's the only way we'll grow up. It's interesting to me that that's a command to crave God's word. <laughs> you don't command somebody to crave. Leslie, could you command me to crave broccoli? I mean, think how ridiculous that is. I wish it was that easy. Command me to break, crave broccoli or spinach or any vegetable. Just command me and I'll do it. No, you don't command somebody to crave. Are you following me? And yet Peter is commanding us to crave the pure word of God. Why do you think that is? It bothered me all week. Why would you command me to crave something? I can't just decide to crave something. Are you following me? Unless that intense craving was put inside of us when we came to Christ and that we have just retrained our appetite to crave something different. And like my mod pizza, I have to come back now and train myself to want vegetables again. 
but must be possible. I commanded my flesh today to crave vegetables and eggs, and I wanted mod pizza. Are you with me? Ray Pritchard says, a healthy infant is a hungry infant. A spiritually healthy Christian is a hungry Christian. These verses explain the pervasive problem of why so many professed Christians have little or no desire for the pure milk of the word. In fact, no desire for the only source of spiritual nourishment begs the question whether they are true babes. If a person claims to have been born again and never desires milk, they need to carefully and honestly examine themselves as to the authenticity of their new birth experience. I almost left that out of the sermon. I was like, that's Ray Pritchard, not Rhea. But it's so true. Notice that putting aside and, and putting off uh, these, uh, these sins come before the craving and the desire. You have to put off in order to drink in. We have to make room in our life for it. Turn over to Romans 13, verses 11 through 12. It says, and do this, understanding the present time. Oh, hear me. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over and the day is almost here. Let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of life. Paul is encouraging his readers to put off deeds of darkness because he's saying the night, the time of Satan's dominion and man's depravity is nearly over. And the day, the time of Christ's approaching is nearly come. Can I just tell you, I believe that with every ounce of my being. I don't care what you label me. I'm just going to tell you, I believe the time is near. And, and I, I said to the Lord this past week, I'm going to preach harder than I've ever preached, Lord. I'm going to give a salvation message more than I've ever given them before because I believe the day is near. I believe it. It's coming and it's coming quickly. I'm just going to tell you. I believe the signs of the time. Do you know that every prophetic word has been, uh, has been um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Fulfilled. Every prophetic word, every prophecy uh, for Christ to return has already been fulfilled. Every one of them. And so nothing is keeping him from coming back. And church, he is coming back for a spotless pride without wrinkle, spot, or blemish. He says, put off the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Do you know that armor is protection? Walking in God's ways and doing his will is protection. Obedience is protection. He's saying, disassociate with anything having to do with darkness and purify yourself by doing what is right, by obeying. Charles Spurgeon says, backsliders begin with dusty Bibles and go on to filthy garments. I love that. Dusty Bibles lead to dirty lives. Harold Hendricks says, you're either in the word and the word is conforming you to the image of Christ or you're in the world and the world is squeezing, squeezing you into its mold. And yet the tragedy among Christians today is that too many of us are under the word of God. That too many of us are under the word of God, but we're not in it for ourselves. What he's saying is we're sitting under the word of God on Sunday mornings, Monday nights, but we're not in it for ourselves. This should be crumbs on Monday night. When you go to church on Sunday morning and get a great pastor like Dave, this should be crumbs. It should be dessert, if anything. You should be feasting on that word day in and day out. He says, get rid of 
Um, all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, all slander of every kind, like newborn babes, crave pure spiritual milk. Crave. That word pure, I want to just look at that before we close. The word of God is pure. Uh, the NIV says like uh, the pure spiritual milk. Uh, the Greek word pure there means guileless. It means without dishonest intent. It literally means without guile or not deceitful. It means unmixed or not watered down. That was, that was important to me as I studied this week. Uh, Stephen Cole says that the dishonest merchants in Bible times would add water to their milk to make more profit. Are you with me? They would water down their milk to make more profit. And that was known as deceitful milk. So, uh, so think about it. This is saying, don't be drinking deceitful milk. Are you, are you with me? Because so many preachers today are guilty of watering down God's word in order to make more profit, in order to bring more people in. Let me tickle your ears and tell you what you want to hear and make you feel good so that I get more profit, so that more people come. Can I tell you, I don't care if there are three of you sitting in the front row, I will not be guilty of watering down the word of God in order to make profit. Because I will stand before the, God, the, word, the, the Lord someday and I will have to give account. And so I know I preach a hard word, but I'm telling you, if you sit under this word, it will train you in righteousness. Because the word of God, he says, drink from the pure, unadulterated, unwatered down, unmixed word of God so that you can grow up in yourself. Stephen Cole says going to one of those churches is like going to a doctor who doesn't talk about sickness, but who gives his patients sugar-coated pills that make them feel good without dealing with the root, of their, the root cause of their problems. As the Lord says in Jeremiah, they have healed the wounds of my people superficially. I'm here to tell you that the word of God is not deceitful. It doesn't deceive us about our condition, and neither should any message preaching the word of God. It's not deceitful. You see, the word of God is not deceitful. That means when you sit underneath it, you should not be able to be deceived about your condition. That, that when I sit under the word of God, it should, I should feel convicted. It should uncover any areas that I am being deceived. Do you see it? It's not deceitful, Scripture says. It's pure. And when we study it, it should tell us the honest truth about ourselves, our motives, and our heart condition. It should pierce our heart with, with honest truth. He says, crave this word. It's a command, like I said. It means to desire. It means to yearn for. Peter is contrasting word to crave what's spiritual, not what's fleshy, fleshly. You see, when you fill up with junk food, when I fill up with junk food, I don't want the healthy stuff. I remember one night my mother-in-law was making a really fancy dinner and, and, and I stopped off at McDonald's on my way to the house because I was super hungry and I had a cheeseburger and fries and she had the spread of incredible uh, food and I wasn't hungry for it because I had filled up on junk food. That's what we do. We fill up with the junk food of the world and no wonder we don't crave the nourishment of the pure word of God. We ruin our appetite with fleshly things. Peter's saying you've got to put off one in order to crave the other. He's saying, like a newborn baby, crave this. 
I want to read this to you in the Living Bible. I'm not a fan of the Living Bible. The Living Bible is a paraphrase. It's not a translation. But I really liked this verse in the Living Bible. It said, so get rid of your feelings of hatred. Don't just pretend to be good. Be done with dishonesty and jealousy and talking about others behind their backs. Now that you realize how kind the Lord has been to you, put away all evil, deception, envy, and fraud. Long to grow up in the fullness of your salvation. Cry out for this as a baby cries for milk. Do you long to grow up in the fullness of your salvation? There's so much more to salvation than what we're living we go from glory to glory, Scripture says. Do, do you long for that? Then cry out to the Lord the way a newborn baby cries for milk. We need to long to grow up. Peter is giving us one of the secrets here. Scripture commands us to pursue holiness, to aim for perfection. For the believer, sin, especially habitual sin, it in, impedes our progress. In fact, it, it sets the believer going in the opposite direction. I'm just going to tell you, I, I, had, I had some time in my life where somebody had hurt me deeply, and, and I was really harboring some resentment towards that person and some unforgiveness. And I knew what the Word of God said about it, but I still entertained it in my heart because I was so hurt by it, and I justified it. I, even though I knew what God's Word said, I, I still justified it and rationalized that I had a right to hold on to it because, you know, I was hurt. Certainly God would understand that. And God in his mercy, do you know what he did? Every time I, I, would, I would go to the word, it would be dead. And God knew that I, can't, I can handle just about anything but not hearing from him. I, I, I need desperately for his word to be alive to me. And, and what would happen is as long as I hung on to that sin and refused to rid myself of it, my progress was impeded, my spiritual progress was impeded because, you see, I chose to eat junk food, unforgiveness, hatred, bitterness. And then when I went to the Word to eat, I wasn't hungry for that because I had all this junk food in my system. We have to rid ourselves of those things. Sin will dull our spiritual sensitivity. It will change our spiritual taste buds. Turn over to Colossians 3.1 in closing. I just want to read this to you. I want to read it to you out of the message. I just think it's powerful. Maybe don't even turn. Maybe just listen to me read it to you. If you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle long eyes to the ground absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what's going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ and God. He is your life. When Christ, your real life, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too the real you, the glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. And that means killing off everything connected to that way of life. 
sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like, whenever you feel like it, and grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. It's because of this kind of thing that God is about to explode in anger. It wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff and not knowing any better. But you know better now, so make sure it's all gone for good. Bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, dirty talk. Don't lie to one another. You're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you've stripped off and put in the fire. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom-made by the Creator with His label on it. All the fashions are now obsolete. So, chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline, be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and as completely as the Master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. And cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. And sing, sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail of your lives in words, action, whatever, be done in the name of the Master Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. He says, get rid of these things and drink the pure, unadulterated word of God so that you may grow up in your salvation. It means grow up in your deliverance. You see, when we choose to rid ourselves of that fleshly junk, and we drink of the word of God, we participate in our deliverance <laughs> and our freedom. We get delivered when we drink the word of God. It's all about growing up. Spiritual growth happens through the application of God's word in our life. How do we know we're not growing up or maturing in the Lord? How do we know we're not spiritual infants? We exhibit these five behaviors. If you're exhibiting these five behaviors, I, I'm sorry, you're a spiritual infant. You're not growing up in your salvation. The sins, these sins will be evident in our life. We need to rid ourselves of those things for spiritual growth to take place. I told you I'm enjoying watching my grandchildren grow up. Every day it seems like they're changing. Mason is running. Alton is just learning to walk, and I watch them with tears rolling down my cheeks. And as tempting as it is, the reality is I don't want them to stay babes forever. That would be silly. They need to grow up. They need to mature. If Alton still isn't walking when he's 15, that would be tragic. If Mason is still talking baby talk when he's 20, that would be trouble. <laughs> and yet, in the church, we have infants still crawling after being saved for 30 years, still filled with envy, still speaking evil of others, still putting on a mask and playing a part rather than growing up spiritually. We have to grow up spiritually, church. 
And we do that by drinking in the Word of God. We do that by purifying ourselves through obedience, by not being babes who, who walk after the flesh, who let, like Mason, didn't want to let Brooke guide and direct him. We let the Spirit guide and direct us. We don't insist on having our own way. In closing, I just want to ask you, and I want you to take a moment and ask yourself, I, I, Megan, you can come and, and begin to play, but I want you to just take a moment before you leave here tonight and ask yourself, are you wearing any filthy garments that need to be stripped off? Is there anything in you that could possibly be a hypocrite? Do you have any malice that you're entertaining in your heart? Are, are you envious of what somebody else has? And, or do you wish ill will towards another? Or are you partaking in backbiting or gossip? Do you have a desire to, to see somebody else hurt or injured? Do you have any hatred in your heart or are you jealous of someone else? Are you full of anger or wrath? If you and I do not deal with these sins in our life, we will not have an appetite for God's word. These sins are junk food. And if we indulge in them, we won't be hungry for God's word. And that's why Peter said we have to rid ourselves of them. And instead of craving those things and, and indulging in those things, we have to choose to indulge and partake in the word of God, which will grow us up in our salvation, in our deliverance. I don't know about you, but I want delivered from some garbage in my life. There are things I see in my life, behaviors in my life that I know are not pleasing to God. Maybe you're more spiritual than I am and you don't have any of those, but I have some things in my life that I hate. I don't want to be deceived about them. The Bible says that we are deceived by the pride of our heart, that we don't want to see these things. And yet Peter says, I want you to grow up in your salvation. Study that word of God. Indulge in it. Drink it in so that you can grow up in your deliverance, so that you can be delivered from those things that hold you back, that you aren't a, an infant demanding its own way like Mason. It was interesting. We were in the kitchen, and the reason that Brooke didn't want him to go into the bathroom is she had just gotten out of the shower, and there was wet water on the floor that she hadn't mopped up yet. And she kept directing him out of there, and we're in the kitchen, and all of a sudden we heard this flop on the floor. And that's when she said, Mason. She was just trying to protect him from injury. By telling him no, she was protecting him. Can I tell you this word? is a fence of protection. It's God not keeping us from fun, like Mason thought Brooke was keeping him from fun. It's God protecting us and keeping us from injury. And yet, we insist on doing our own thing and fighting and warring against His Spirit in us. So as Megan closes, I want you to just ask yourself, be honest with yourself. You don't have to be honest with me. I, I don't need to know. God already knows. Why don't you just say, God, is there any area of my life I'm deceiving myself? That I have things that I need to strip off that I don't want to see. 
or maybe you already know, take these next final moments of, of study and just give God permission. It's interesting. Remember the tense, rid yourselves. It's we're doing it. Maybe the best you can do tonight is just to say, God, make me want to rid myself of this thing. But as Megan closes, do some business with the Lord. I'm telling you, the day is near. I believe it with all of my heart. I really do. All that matters to me. I had lunch with Leslie today, and I said to her, Leslie, we can't get bogged down with this stuff with offense or with pain or we have one mission, Leslie, and it's to spread the gospel. One mission. I don't care who likes me, who doesn't like me. I don't care who agrees with me, who doesn't agree with me. Here's my mission, to preach the gospel, to make disciples. One last thing. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, Please, please don't leave here without him. It's his will that you don't perish, but that you have everlasting life. It's the gift that he wants to give to you. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. It's a gift. Don't leave here tonight without telling him you receive that gift, that you want that gift for your very own, that you give him your life in return. The day is drawing near. So, Father, we pray that as Megan closes, that you would speak to hearts. That you would convict hearts. That you would awaken hearts. That you would minister to hearts, Lord God. That you would give us revelation. That you would give us rhema concerning the things that we need to be rid of, be done with once and for all to put away from our life. Lord, we want to be more like you. We want to shine like a light in a dark place. Lord, anything that would impede that or hinder that, put your finger on tonight. Do a work in our hearts and our minds, I pray in Jesus' name.